0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sephardim of Rabbi Aaron Lapyansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit EshelPublications.com. Um, I, I sort of semi apologize again that I, I speak more here than any place else, probably because simply it's my heritage, it's my legacy, but the whole life it's everybody's in a certain sense. So we we spoke about. Um, like when we spoke in, Vol- in Volodim about two different things coinciding, the, the, the rabbanim and the yeshivas. Really there are two things here. There's Kovna and Slavatka. And both of them are two worlds. And it's important to have a sense of each one. Kovna represented a sort of old time, and like you see the, the, here, um, a, a very strong identification with Yiddishkeit. P- the, 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 the Litvish Yid, was a very controlled his emotional control but they were deep they 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 they, they, they were, very they had very strong and deep emotions a very strong sense of tradition a strong sense of respect a bit of skepticism and cynicism and not you know it, it certainly, you know tradition meant a lot did not mean much and kovner represent the big city the people who were had gone to universities, had not gone to yeshivas, people who basically weren't, they didn't believe in the detailed obligation of, of Tayyar Nalacha, but had strong Yiddish identification. And that's why you'll see the signs in Yiddish here. He speaks Yiddish. Um, th- th- there's, a, there's a desire to keep a shul like this, and, and you know, it, even th- they didn't make the changes. Reform did not have a really foothold here. The, ch- the drastic changes in the shuls, they were not into. There was a sense of keeping things with a certain, you know, d- dignity and so on and so forth. Um, the Rabbonim and the big cities tried dearly to, you know, they basically were keeping kehillas going, and World War I knocked it out. Um, this an article I have about Vilna, and he says that this, the difference was incredible. Many people were not into keeping kosher anymore, but everything was kosher. So you ate kosher, you did kosher, and that was it. But during World War One, they had to eat treif. There was nothing else to eat. There was starvation. There was no rabbanim. Everything was was hefker. If they got used to three or four years of 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 um, traif and meat, you no longer had. That sentimental attachment to kosher, you no longer had a red line against bringing Trade Ghaza. So they didn't need but but everything else they would outsched and the velas and so on and so forth. Before World War One, it was it was not the norm to be Khalchabs. During the war, the Germans forced people to keep the stores open, Bachulo-Bachulu. And then so after the war between before World War I and after World One, in places like Covenant and Vilna, were drastic changes. Um, because the Kehillah had become disbanded, because their rabbonim were no longer had didn't have a grip on the Kehillah, they came back after five six years. Uh, a new generation came, and that was part of the churban of these places. Um, South Africa, South African Jewry was very typical of um, many Lithuanians who went there. The South African Lithuanian Yidden loved to learn. They dropped shmiras and in any real sense of the word when they came there. The shuls in the community was orthodox. When you came to a shul, you came to an Orthodox shul, that was your shul, and there was a sense of respect. I told, I told over before on the bus, I was there last year, and the, the rabbi there, Rabbi Golstein, has made these you know, Shabbos for everybody. In America, it's very difficult to get going. In South Africa, the rabbi said how they should do it. People who are not and mitzvahs, everyone comes, they don't drive, and they sleep over in a building, in a school building, because the rabbi said that's where you do Shabbos. And I'll follow up an anecdote, but I was there last year, and I was speaking for a group of students who were totally not from. And it's called uh, Awesome. It's Aisha Torah, Kirov, um, you know, whatever it is. So I took a look around, it was late at night, it was left a long day for me, and it looked like after a long night for them. Nobody was in the mood. So I said, I'll take questions and answers. So nobody volunteered. So I said, let me ask you some questions. I'm interested in things, I'm, I'm curious. I said, why do you belong to a Jewish organization? So they thought it, the girl stepped up and she said, we all went to Jewish schools, we have common identification with certain basic Jewish things, and that keeps us, that's our common denominator. So I said, tell me three things that you feel are basic Jewish traits. So she said, caring for each other, okay, that, that I would've heard in America, I would've heard anywhere The second thing she said was, respect. And I said, wow. I said, in America that's a four letter word. I mean, what do you mean respect? You you, you you question you, 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 you an class is, is 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 a hero, not somebody who's traditional and respects. And and I told you, you know, I learned something from you. And it's true. You, you you, you get a certain a rav gets a deference and a certain sense of this is how it should be, which 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 is very helpful in certain circumstances. There was the Nishama of that was a little the 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 the, the, um, the video that he has of the person saying saying of Vino i it's it's heart wrenching. It, it's that type of deep raggish I don't know what this person was doing. Was doing, but 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 you know the 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 of the person is incredible. Um, I was in Phoenix many years ago. There was an old English There was an old yid who was. In his nineties, I forgot his name. Obviously, I don't remember. And they told me come into shul early and watch him come in and daven. Watch him. So he comes in before davening. This is a weekday davening, and he stands by the door, and he says, you know, vani Berev chastecha, over be secha shtaf and kotsecha, shtaf secha. And and he, mama, trembled and he jumped in, and I wow. Um, later on, he, he used to lay for them. They realized that on Shabbos it's impossible that he walks ten miles from where he lives, and so they, you know, he said, "Listen, I've kept Shabbos longer are all of you together. You know, you're all 20 years old, five of you." And 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 he and they got him an apartment next year. So, but there was a certain panemistic erection. That's why Chabad appealed. That type of, you know, not to be sentimentally awash but to focus a very deep inside identification that was that was a litvish he that was the now let's switch to so so in a certain sense there was a process of degeneration setting in um, people were going less to study studying yeshivas they're studying universities there was less and less and less um and so on and so forth um people don't realize his his, if you ask yourself, what is the Shoresh of what he was trying to do, the answer was Kirov. He realized things are falling apart. He started with Musa, that was his primary mind, but he did many other things. He wanted to translate the Talmud into German or French, I don't remember which one. He spent he spent his last years living in France, Germany, and people were very upset. People didn't know what happened, and he gave a marshal He said, when a horse and a wagon are going downhill, if you try to stop them, you will, if you, if you put the brakes on, like, like we heard yesterday, you go flying over. But if you, once they're downhill, you can slowly get them uphill. He said, Poland, Russia, and, and, and Lita are going downhill. I can't do much. Over there, in Germany and France, the rock bottom, maybe I can lift them up. So, Rav was really, in a certain sense, he was interested in the Jewish Renaissance. And also, Musa was primarily going to be a movement for Balbatim they would reconnect emotionally with Yiddishkeit. That's really, if you, if you, if you, if you look and read and see what he says. Rabbi Salant's Salanta's own Mitzias, he was such a godal such, such a brilliant godal, he was so beloved, respected, that nobody would say things about him or against him. So Rabbi Salant Salanta himself never got opposition. The one that they when they wanted to speak, speak of so lanta, they spoke of Essel Petterberg. Um, or, or sometimes the Alta but the Rabbi Sol formulated his Muslim movement and he came to Kovna to make his Muslim that's that was the first place we really made one. But before that, the Alta Slobodka was born in eighteen uh, I have it down, forty-nine. He was born in, in a small town and he he was a younger man. he was in his early twenties when somebody got him to meet the altar of He heard the altar of Kelum, and he spent the whole night, he said, crying on his pillow, and he was a different person. He became a Balmussa. He looked at the Alta of as a Rebbe of his. They together made different things. They made a tamator and Gravin and, and other things. They split. They didn't see eye to eye on certain things. Not clear what, whatever it was. They were two big people. They didn't see eye to eye. And the altar came to Kavna. And he's now the altos labotica his first meter was it's my wife's great-grandfather's first meter was that he was um totally hidden he was hidden remained hidden no one knows anything about his biography knows anything about him? anything that he said it's because he wanted people to hear he had no most people need to talk to, to get something off their chest to, to get recognition to get acknowledgement, you, you're a person, he wasn't. He, nothing that he ever said um, was, had any reason unless it was to get somebody to do something, to tell somebody something, that was him. His Talmudim never knew anything about him, and then his biography is, is skimpier than skimpy. And they talk about the Shivas. He, he was extraordinarily, he was a person who was extre- an extreme strategist. He came to Kovna, and he slowly began. He first started with a little bit of a kolal. then there was a, a, a yeshiva for young boys of Levitan and um I think it was called mahala my father that's what my father used to that's what they spoke about. He had a yeshiva for young boys the altar started speaking to the boys, and that slowly became a feat for yeshiva um he 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 Every place there was something going on, the altar put a foot in, and he slowly began to draw the threads together. Now, you have to understand, this was incredibly pressing. I mean, people didn't realize how everything was going to fall apart. It was still the, the end of the 1800s, mid, mid to end of the 1800s, but it was, he realized it's, it's falling apart. It's not going to work. You have to reconstruct the yeshiva. And he slowly began building Slabotki Yeshiva through the kolo that he had. He had them learn with some of the boys. The boys became older. He started making a group and slowly it evolved into the Yeshiva. This was in 18... uh, I think the official date for when the Yeshiva founded is 1877. That's the kolo and he brought in Reb Yitzel to be Rosh Yeshiva. That was in 1889. Yitzel was a, a sort of Reb Chaim-like personality. He was Merchadish Torah that was extremely attractive, Barucham liked it, slowly began building the Yeshiva. And this is typical of him, as he built the Yeshiva, no one knew what his job was. No one knew exactly what he was doing. And the Rosh Yeshiva was one person, the, the Mashkev was a second person, the, the, this was that, this was that, and he, and he was the behind-the-scenes boss. He raised the money. He had a lot of money came from somebody named Vady Lachman. He had money coming in. He brought the money, took the responsibility. He brought in people to yeshiva, kept people out of yeshiva. And it was, it was like one of these things where he had no... That's why they called him the altar. There was nothing else to call him. There was no other title because he had no official title in yeshiva. So he was everything and nobody. Um, Rehemoshu Mar was the official of the yeshiva later on. And and but slowly he began weaving the yeshiva into a yeshiva. His principles were he took Rosh yeshivas that were attractive for bachrim, like the same way the chavetz chaim took rishim of Toli, he took rishim of he then took rishim of matrin almin. He looked for rosh yeshivas that would attract bachrim to the nuder halimut. He understood that you need that. He he put a ruach of musa. People learn musa, and he worked with the bachrim one by one. He especially was focused on Balakishonos. He felt that they would become the 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 the, the next door of of Manhigim and he, he he with each one he had a different agenda. Some of them he let do things. Some he didn't let do things. Some of them he pulled back. Some of he pushed. He was incredibly astute in knowing how to deal with each one. That's why if you look at a specific derech, it's hard to say it there because some some he let go to, he let them go to university quietly. My father told me that if is going to university for a few months, he felt, again, my father said, I can't tell you for sure, but the altar, was a nod and a wink of the altar, because the altar felt he would lose him without that. So by sort of giving him the sense that he's ready to go and this and that, he got over it and came back. That was the type of things that the altar could think of. Who needs to be told no way and who needs to be told yes because he's going to come back and, and, and it would go wrong the other night. A big event occurred at the end of the, of the 1890s, 1898, 99, 97, those years. So Musa was something that was a new movement. The Bachrim who were affected by it did, did not like it. In other words, were Bachim, there were Bahanders Marachi because of it and you know that whole thing. And in the yeshiva, they developed an opposition to it. And they brought things to a head by getting Rabbanim involved. Rabbanim also didn't see it always by Anya. So as long as Absolum was alive, Absolan he wasn't affiliated with the Muslim, but he felt he, he trusted the people and he felt whatever it is, it's good. His son did not see it that way, and 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 um Hirsch Rabinowitz was the Rav at this time already, and he called an asif of rabbanim, and he invited Rabinassin Sri Finkel and Bitzel-Petaburga to come and defend Musa. So they got, the Rabbonim got up, they lambasted Musa, and then they asked him to reply. Bitzel-Petaburga got up, and he said, Good night, everybody, and the altar nodded, and they walked out. And the altar was a little bit upset with said, why didn't you talk to him? So was a noted time with The altar hid his learning. Rebetzel had written as far as when he was and He said, I'm not a Chasem Baruchat, I did need to hear the Jerashah to see how, how much I'm worth. They both decided there's no point in arguing because um, no one's listening. They've made up their mind. Nothing else here convince them. They got up and they left the yeshiva. They got up and walked out. The majority of Baruchat remained and they took 70 bucks with them, and they, and they remade a new yeshiva. Um, they named the new yeshiva Knesset Yisrael after Yisrael Salanta, and the old yeshiva was Knesses Yitzchak after Yitzchak. The altar had to rebuild from scratch, but he didn't want to make Machlokas, so he rebuilt from scratch. They wanted the yeshiva, take the yeshiva. I'm, I'm, I'm there to build and um, he rebuilt from scratch. He allowed Baruch they took Rebbe Ochper as a yeshiva of Knesset Yitzchak. he allowed Baruch to go hear him, Rebbe Ochper was Ka'esh Krashe and vice versa, he would be on the lookout for Baruch of of Yitzchok. Knesset Yitzchak, that, would, that he would pull in, you know, to the Muslims and so on and so forth. And both yeshivas coexisted before World War One. After World War I, the Knesset never came back again, Rebbe Ochper went off, you know, through all the, the, the gullas and he went off and that was that so um so that was the yeshiva until world war one world war one the yeshiva um scattered it they went off to minsk first minsk was a big place where a lot of yeshivas went to that was like the first like i told you the, because they had the forts around kovna the, the the czar was especially very very um nervous that the jews should be there and that's why he sent them off that was the the um you know, so he sent the Jews. He pushed, exiled them. He took the Jews, put them in trains. My father remembers it, remembered it, and my father told me almost every stop that the train stopped, the Jews of the communities came and they brought them food and drink, and and he could see them wiping away tears, like they they were very much tattered with it. It was incredible. Then they went first to that. They ended up in Kremenchuk. They, they were they were pushed far into into Russia. Some ended up in Ukraine. Different kufis. Of where it was safer and less safe. They came back, and the yeshivas had to rebuild again. There were other, like we spoke in the beginning, there were a lot of problems because some people had stayed and so on and so forth. The yeshiva regrouped, rebuilt, and it's reached its heydays, like every other yeshiva in the 20s. Most of the famous names you heard were from the 20s. um, And probably he had a hand in almost every yeshiva that there was. In, in what we call Lita. He was an incredible person. He helped build Tels yeshiva before he even had sabbatka. He built Sabatka. His son, Reb Yudel, went to the Mir. His, he sent 14 Baruchim to start Kletsk. He helped Rabbi Shimon in, in Malch and in Bryansk. He, he wanted, A, there should be more Torah. B, he felt that by bringing in the right people, they would spread muss everywhere. Bekah Of the Rosh Yeshivas in America, Reb Aaron Kotler was a brilliant beyond words person, he wavered, in other words, he was a yassim and and his family wanted him to go study at university, the altar had 101 tricks how to get him to stay, he got him to stay, Was spent all his focus on him and Reb Aaron Kotler brought her to America, he helped yeshiva. he He Shiva, um, the mere was Rebbe Lezir. Rebbe, Zil- Rebbe Zil- himself wasn't bal Musa per se, but he understood that the shiva needs Musa and he always had a mashkir. he created that environment to have Musa. Um, Neri Yisrael of Rudamin is his, Chaim Balin is his, Rebbe Yaakov is his Talmud. It's hard to think of anything of Torah today that's not him. And nobody knows anything about him. He, 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 he was a totally anonymous person when it came to himself. Um, he lived for thirty years without his family. He left his family in Kelm, He, he, he was in Slabodka and to devote himself totally to the cause, and he would come home for Yontem. That was it. I don't know what happened what, what, after thirty years. Why he put, what, whatever it was, but that was his person. In 1925, the government made they had a, a draft, an army draft, that they used to pat in Yisheva they stopped patterning Shiva Bachim in 1925 and they realized th- they can't. I mean, going to the army in those days was suicide. It was horrendous. the, the, the conditions were horrendous. The Yiddish guys was impassable. It, it was horrible. So and there are just so many Bachim that could that could pass off as cripples. You know, Yukiyu, you know, there's just how many just how many Bachim could manage to get out. So he took a group of Bachram to Arts Israel, together with my Shemar and they founded Khevin Yeshiva in Arts Israel. They all lived till 1927. And was nifter, and that's that branch of it. Staying in Slavotka, Rabbi Zeka came back. That was a son-law of his. But Verngurjensky was at Muvok, he came back as the Mashkiach, and they led the yeshiva until the war. Uh, Verngajansky was killed at Kirish Hashem, and we'll see in the 7th, 4th, and in one of the two, two, two places. Uh, no, they burnt sorry, they burnt the hospital down with him together. and um, that my my father comes there, unfortunately. And um and uh, Rabbi Isaac Shev made it t'ar and on Stahra Gishib and n'ar tz'sor al-Kaponim, there's a passage in Kehelos it says that there was a city that was enclosed that was surrounded, encircled and a Achach Mechad came wo Bo Achach Mechad O'mile t'asehiyu bechachmah say and he saved the city of his Chachma and, and nobody remembered the person and everybody asks how could it be that somebody saves the whole world and nobody remembers him so people do know the Alpha Sarabot, the name is famous but his own wish was to have nothing of his self ever public, and that's pretty much Shmikuyim. Um He did not um, nothing about his own personal life, his own real thoughts, um, or, or their... No. I just over something we were talking about um, at the table about Tishabov and Remy uh, Chaber was about Sinas uh, Chinam. I just happened to see recently the altar said a shmuz about Tisha B'Av, he said, you know, Tisha B'av because of Sinus Chinam, and because, you know, so on and so forth. He said, so on Tisha B'Av during Kinnis, instead of calling on you to do Arzal they call somebody else to do Arzal So you're Eish lahava on the Gabai, Eish lahava on the person that took away the Arzal from you, and you're, so, so he said, so that's, that's really where people are. His muses, but basically they were a tremendous draw. Most of them were very, very, um, very, very clear descriptions of what people's emotions are like, their mindset. You almost could read minds. Um, let me add maybe just another I this story. One of the Litvishet Tchunis was dignity was very important. Honor was also very important, and people were very sensitive to slights to honor. That was part of Litwish uh, um, mindset. So if you got a lesser aliyah, it was somebody's putting you down, somebody that, and that's where the altar put a lot of focus. All of the sheetas you hear about the altar, about that he liked the bachum to be spiffy and to be dressed and to be nice and so on and so forth, very unclear. He was meticulously clean. He was meticulously dignified. But the shtariness of the bachum, that probably was because he felt that the needed it. Um, everybody else, University of Bachram University his students walked around stolz with a big chup and, and you know these golden glasses and looking very, very hush of. He felt it was important. Did he believe that's what he should be? No way to know. He himself did not, he, he wasn't into the latest model of suits or whatever it is. He was very clean, very dignified, ext- meticulously so, but um, what he felt about the, the, he felt it was important, and, and whatever you saw in the yeshiva, the only thing he knew better is that he held its important for the him So in many ways, so Velozhin is like the first layer, of the floor of the yeshivas, the basic concept of people coming together, having a, a, a rav, um, learning Bechavrusa, learning Bechavverim. Slavotka is the closest to what we have, that it, there's a certain proactive reaching out to Bachrim. The, the Mesechtas that were learned that would encourage the most competitiveness. The, 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 the type of interaction where there's a guiding hand from the top to try to shape and mold Bachram, bring it to a certain place, that was his. And the idea that Musser is part of Yeshiva, bringing in the right type of Bachram to see the Yeshiva so that, that it grows around it, that was him. And out everything that went into the other Yeshivas, it either, it either mirrored what he said, or he was behind it somehow. That's, so it's incredible that this person, in a sense, um, saved Torah. This was the next generation of Torah. The next generation of Torah did not reflect the old school, not reflect It Reflected him, the, 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 the flavor of the yeshiva, the tsura of the yeshiva, the, the content of the yeshiva, everything about it was a reflection of, of the altar's molding of it. That's, um, and, and, and it saved a Lithuanian Jewry, was only open to that. Uh, about how keeping mitzvahs no longer worked anymore. You needed to have whatever it is that he that brought. And, and so in a certain sense, Kovno was a big city, but Slavotka where is where Yiddish life came from, and, and this is where what we have today, the Alma is is from there. Okay. The golden legacy collection of essays. Yeah. Um, about, I think it's about a week or another.